Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self-discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host here, Amanda Guarneri. So happy to be with you today. Happy that you are listening. Welcome, whether you are a new listener or a longtime listener. I'm just really excited to spend some time with you today. And today I have kind of a fun episode. We are going to be talking about what it's like to be a nurse practitioner in the emergency department. This is something I get a lot of questions about. And I have been working in the emergency department for about six out of my nine years of NP practice. As of the time of this recording, I'm not currently working clinically in the emergency department, but that is the area of my most recent six years of experience. And I think that to some people, the emergency department can be a little bit elusive, especially if you've never worked there as a nurse or if you've never experienced it as a patient, if your only uh, impressions of the ED are from what you've seen on TV, you may have a curiosity about what it's really like and whether it's a good place to work as a nurse practitioner. And what I find is that it's a place that many nurse practitioners work. There are very few emergency departments that I've observed that don't employ either PAs or NPs, but Not many nurse practitioner programs actually give you emergency department experience, whereas for PAs, on the contrary, for physician assistants, it's a standard rotation in pretty much all of their programs, but it can be a rare one in nurse practitioner programs. If you are responsible for setting up your own clinicals, it's something that you can try for, you can try to set up, but it's a little bit of a wild card in that it doesn't really fit in any one particular certification that we have as nurse practitioners. So it's not something that is a common competency or a common clinical rotation in traditional nurse practitioner programs. And you know, I'll be the first to admit that it is not as glamorous as it appears on TV, but it can be a really great place to work, especially if you like fast-paced environments and if you like to learn a little bit about a lot of things. I find that a lot of people tend to fall into one camp or the other. They like to be a subject matter expert, meaning they like to know a lot about one thing versus being more of a generalist in that they like to know a little bit about a lot of things. So the emergency department is definitely the latter. You will be more of a generalist, knowing a little bit about a lot of things as opposed to being a really in-depth subject matter expert. If you are that type of person, maybe specialty work will be in the cards for you. So this episode is really going to be based on my personal experience. I have worked in two different emergency department environments that were very different from one another. In one instance, I worked for a physician contracted group that staffed five community hospitals for one single hospital network. 
So that means I wasn't employed by the hospital network. I was employed by this small physician group. And as a group, all of the physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs, we cross-covered five different community hospitals for one hospital network that covered two or three counties. The other emergency department environment that I've worked in was at a tertiary care regional level one trauma academic medical center. Okay, so one is, you know, community hospital. The other one was more of an urban tertiary center. It was where all the traumas came. It was where all the peds traumas came. It was a burn center. It had the level four NICU. It was really every single specialty and subspecialty was at that facility. So these were definitely different experiences, but I will point out that both of those experiences, I always had accessible on-site physician collaboration and oversight. So I was always working side by side in the same area or an adjacent area with a physician. So I have never worked at a critical access hospital facility, a critical access emergency department. These are often staffed by a single provider, often a single nurse practitioner or PA. So I really cannot speak to that and I won't be incorporating anything about those experiences into this episode because I like to speak about things that I know well (laughs) uh, and I can't speak to that. So let's go into, let's start with who can work in the emergency department. This ultimately depends on your state board of nursing. Some states do have very strict delineations of which specialties can work in the ED environment or even in the hospital environment. So that would be the first place to go. You want to first know, okay, in my state where I am licensed to practice, can nurse practitioners even work in the emergency department? In most states, the answer is going to be yes, but you definitely want to make sure that you are practicing within your legal scope in your state. It also can depend on the emergency department itself. If it's a location like a tertiary care center that has a separate PEDS and adult ED, for example, then this will be a little bit more flexible about kind of what specialty you can hold and which area you can work in if you want to work in the ED. So let's talk a little bit more about that kind of specialty by specialty. In my opinion, FNP or family nurse practitioner is the best certification to hold if you want to work in the emergency department. And the main reason for this is because it is one of the few specialties where you can care for both adults and pediatric patients. It's also, for that same reason, the preferred certification for working in the urgent care setting. So if you ever wanted to pivot from emergency department to urgent care, then in my opinion, this is the best to have. An acute care nurse practitioner can work in the ED, but honestly, I think that the acuity of the training that you receive as an acute care NP really positions you best for a complicated internal medicine floor or for a surgical floor or a critical care unit. Most ED patients are ambulatory, meaning they're upright, they're walking around, they're not highly critical, and they don't always require the higher level of care that you learn as an acute care NP. So in the emergency department, you likely won't be managing vents, you likely won't be managing or placing central lines, you won't be handling hemodynamics, you won't be dealing with a lot of trauma. This is really dependent on the location, but Those types of high acuity scenarios tend to be, 
either always handled by the physician or the residents, depending on the location, or they could be infrequent enough that they only happen once per shift, once per week, or even once per month. So it may not even be enough to maintain your competency if you are an acute care NP who really enjoys that critical care aspect of your certification, not to mention, unless you have a dual certification, you wouldn't be able to see pediatric patients. I think that limits you, and I don't always recommend that if acute care is the only certification that you have, that you work in the ED. I think you will be probably better suited based on your education and and your competency to work in a higher acuity environment. Next, let's talk about the adult nurse practitioner certification, which I know is retired now. So this will be like adult and also adult gerontology uh, primary care. So personally, I'm an adult NP. This is not really the favored certification to work in the ED because an adult NP cannot see pediatric patients. But for me, I fortunately started off working with a group uh, in the ED that required that all patients be co-seen like be staffed with the physician. So it really didn't matter to them that I could not see pediatric patients because based on their flow, all their physicians were seeing all the patients anyway. There was not a lot of pediatric patients at those locations. So it wasn't seen as this kind of absolute thing where they couldn't hire me because I couldn't see pediatric patients. Some of the other NPs in the group did have their FNP and I wasn't ever the only person working there. There was always another nurse practitioner or PA, oftentimes they could also see or they could see peds or there would be at least one, often two other physicians there who could see the pediatric patients. So it wasn't a deal breaker in that scenario. In some places, it is a deal breaker. If you cannot see peds, they won't hire you to work in their emergency department. So I had that fortunate experience. And then my second ED that I worked at was at the level one trauma facility, which had a separate pediatric ED and a separate adult ED. This is very common in kind of those regional tertiary care centers. And in our scenario, that separate peds ED, I mean, it was technically all the same ED, right? But it was there was really a division in the staff. So you never cross-staffed those two emergency departments. So the nurses who worked in the regular ED always worked in the regular ED. The NPs who worked in the regular ED always worked in the regular ED and very rarely cross-trained over to PEDS because they had a special group of pediatric nurse practitioners who worked in the PEDS ED. There were a couple shifts where they needed to cross-trained some people, but they just cross-trained the FNPs and not the adult NPs. So that was in my favor there. So if you are an adult nurse practitioner or adult gero and you want to work in the emergency department, then your best bet is to really start in a place that has a separate PEDS ED so that you can kind of say, well, I'll be, you know, I can work in the on the adult side and not have to worry about the PEDS side if they have separate staff over there. I also want to tell you about a newer certification called the ENP or the Emergency Nurse Practitioner Certification. This is a little bit of a unique certification in that it is competency-based as opposed to education-based. Okay, so the majority of our NP certifications, which I think there are too many, side note, that's just my little opinion, but basically like FNP, adult gero, acute care, all these 
certifications are education-based, meaning you go to school, you complete the curriculum from a school that prepares you to sit for the exam. The ENP certification is competency-based. So you must first be an FNP. This is a certification only for FNPs. You must be working or have worked in the ED setting, thus have clinical hours of working competency, and you also must complete some additional continuing ed courses in some specialty areas like procedures, and I think there's ultrasound, and some very specific CEs. Once you have all that, you're an FNP, you have clinical hours, meaning working hours in the ED, you have completed specialty CE, you then have to take an exam. There used to be, and I'd have to double check if that's still true, there used to be kind of this endorsement where you could just submit all your hours and your CE and request to be granted the ENP. But from what I'm reading now is all this prepares you to sit for an exam. And once you pass the exam, then you can earn that ENP designation. There are also a handful, not very many, of ENP master's programs that prepare you for multiple certifications. So they don't just prepare you for the ENP, but rather they prepare you for a dual certification as an FNP and acute care NP. So basically that covers the gap in acuity that you may not get in traditional FNP programs. So the idea is to make you an FNP who is more marketable for the emergency department because you've had that higher acuity training that acute care NPs get, but that you still have kind of the ambulatory care foundation, as well as the scope of being able to see pediatric patients. So let's talk about who's a great fit for the ED. How do you know if you are a person that will thrive there? Here's what I've learned about who does well in the emergency department. So you might be a good fit for the ED if you enjoy fast-paced environments. Okay, so for the majority of ED shifts I've ever worked, except for a few exceptions like Thanksgiving up until a certain time of the day, the ED is fast-paced, okay? So if you thrive on that and if you do well in a fast-paced environment, then it may be a good fit for you. Another thing that's really important is if you can easily task switch, Okay, I'm purposefully using that rather than the term multitasking. I don't believe that multitasking really exists. It's really just these micro shifts that we make in our brain from one task to another. But if you are good at what you perceive to be multitasking or task switching really quickly, then you might be a good fit for the ED. So task switching in the ED might look like, you know, in the span of minutes, um, you know, participating in a code, telling someone that they're pregnant, um, splinting a fracture, uh, telling someone that they have cancer. Like there can be so many highs and lows that are from completely different realms of medicine. And you must be able to seamlessly transition from one to the other without kind of losing steam on your progress. Because what I'll go into next or in a few minutes is is what the timeline looks like when you're working in the emergency department as a provider. So you might also be a good fit if you can organize your thoughts and processes really well, if you're, you're good at kind of creating a system and sticking to that system to create some checks and balances for yourself. Uh, if you can formulate a quick assessment, if you've ever been the type of nurse or nurse practitioner who can look at a patient and immediately decide if they're sick or not sick, if you're just kind of good with that intuitive gestalt, then 
the ED may be a, a great fit for you because that is a big part uh, of what we do is is rapidly triaging, not just in the formal sense, but also kind of in our own in our own assessments. And I also want to talk a little bit about new grads because that is definitely a question I get pretty often is, you know, should I work in the ED as a new grad? In my experience, the ED is not the ideal place for most new grads. And the reason why is that it can take some time for your brain to learn how to move through the diagnostic process quickly and efficiently. And that's kind of like a muscle memory thing that comes with learning how to care for patients, uh, meaning working as a nurse practitioner, being on your own, being not in the in a clinical environment with the backup of a preceptor, but like actually having ownership over a patient and going through that process start to finish. I'm not saying that it's impossible um, for a new grad to work in the ED, but I definitely want you to kind of clue in to what your strengths are. And you will also want to be really intentional during the interview and hiring process in learning what the specific department has kind of a history of in terms of new grad success. So this means that in your interview, you will want to be asking whether they've hired new grads before. Have those new grads been successful? Are they still working there? What has their training and orientation look like? How do they support new grads? How do they ramp up productivity expectations? That type of thing. Because in my experience, I've seen a lot of bright and shiny, eager new grads who are kind of thrown into the ED environment. And it can be a little bit of a sink or swim situation. Because it's such a fast-paced environment, you won't have people who are just sitting around waiting to help you. If you need physician help or even another colleague's help, like they're all seeing their own patients too and dealing with high acuity environments too and kind of working through their own patient care. So you have to be comfortable interrupting and and acknowledging and really standing firm in when you need help. Because what can happen is you can get into this dangerous place where you don't want to bother anyone. So you take on more than what you are really comfortable with or whether it's you know, you you go through a process and, and you're really not sure what meds or labs to order, but you do it, you kind of fudge through it because you don't want to bother anybody. Or it could be you take on too many patients all at one time and then you find yourself, you know, overwhelmed and not being able to to keep up. I certainly don't want to be discouraging or be all doom and gloom, but I want to set realistic expectations of what it's like to work in this environment and show you why it's so important to really validate, you know, what on the employer side, you know, validate what type of experience you're going to be provided in wherever you are applying to. Hey friend, you may or may not be job seeking right now, but if you are, or you will be in the future, I'm popping in to let you know about my most popular offer, the Nurse Resume Template Bundle. This is a digital download product that includes six beautifully designed resume and cover letter templates for both the experienced and new grad nurse or NP. You deserve to have a resume and cover letter that really showcases exactly why you are the perfect person for the job. So never again lose out on the opportunity to interview because your resume got lost in the stack. When you purchase the nurse resume template bundle, you'll also get access to three really essential bonuses that I created for you. My credential organization system, a job application tracking system, and the most asked for resource, 
an ATS video explaining what the heck the ATS is. <laughs> and it also includes two really friendly additional templates that are super ATS friendly. Okay. So you can learn more about this and you can purchase the nurse resume template bundle for just $37 at the resume rx.com slash offer. That's the resume rx.com slash O F F E R. Now back to the episode. So what do nurse practitioners do in the emergency department? Where can they actually work? This, of course, is dependent on your competency. It's dependent on the department itself, whether it's kind of a a one-section department because it's a smaller hospital versus one that has several pods and uh, a fast track and all these other areas. So I want to talk about three main areas that I see nurse practitioners work in, that I've worked in, in my experience. And those three areas are triage, low acuity or fast track, and the main ED. We'll kind of lump all that together. Now, triage is that first area that a patient presents to, either from the front door, like from the parking lot ambulatory, or from ambulance entrance. And some emergency departments have shifted towards this provider in triage model meaning that every patient is essentially given a medical screening exam within minutes of arrival. And honestly, that came from a place of, so that's a metric that's tracked. The metric is the door to provider time. And that's a, you know, a very strict metric that is tracked, that emergency departments strive, that the leadership you know, reports on what are our door to provider times. And the goal is to get that as low as possible. So something that has been implemented in a lot of EDs in order to achieve that, especially in places that notoriously have a long wait, is to put a provider in triage so that they can stop that clock and provide a quick assessment and get whatever workup started that that can be started. So That can look like a doc or a physician sitting side by side with the triage nurse and essentially co-assessing the the patient that presents, learning the chief complaint, asking some pointed targeted history questions, recognizing anything that is severe, acutely life-threatening that bumps them to the top of the triage line, assigning that acuity number. And in some instances, if the process allows, that provider in triage can also order meds and order imaging tests. And if the department is set up like that, there might be people to fulfill those orders even when the patient's in the waiting room. So that is a place that nurse practitioners can work. I don't like it if that's the only place nurse practitioners are. Uh, I don't think that it utilizes our skill set fully to only be triaging and and not going through the rest of the process because we certainly are capable of going through the rest of the process. In the settings where I've worked in, it's been kind of like an assignment that you wrote a, a shift location, right? So there were multiple different locations that you could work in during one particular shift and it would be pre-assigned. So maybe one day I'd be working in triage, one day I'd be working in fast track, one day I'd be working in the main ED. So if it's done that way, that can be a a good experience. It's also a really good place to learn that quick assessment of, is this patient sick or not sick? I have um, a pretty good story from when I was working in triage one time, and a woman came in with uh, a reproductive age woman, 
came in by ambulance with chest pain. And the department was so busy. It was a Friday evening. And the triage nurse at the um, EMS entrance decided that that patient was stable for the waiting room, which was common because we were always a full department. So EMS rolled her to the ambulatory entrance, and I did my triage assessment of her. And she explained that she had this sudden onset chest pain, and she had never experienced anything like that. And then she was telling me that during the ambulance ride, they went over a bump, and all of a sudden she couldn't feel anything in her left leg. And that was when I started to, well, I was always listening intently, but that was when my my ears perked up, and you know the hair on my neck stood up, and I knew that this was not something that was waiting room appropriate. So I did, you know, I took a few minutes to do a very targeted, focused assessment of her the best I could, you know, essentially in the waiting room. I checked her pulses in her feet. I listened to her lungs. I, you know, made sure I reviewed her vitals and I was concerned about her. I knew that this was something bad. So I, uh, the way the process was, was I had to, even if I was ringing the bells, so to speak, like if I had a stroke or a very obvious heart attack patient, I still had to get a physician to kind of sign off on the alert and move forward with that process. So I went to the the physician who was uh, like the physician in charge that day, I gave him a 30 second report and I said, I'm concerned about her. And he, he looked at me, he's like, you think she's having an aortic dissection, don't you? I said, yes, that's exactly what I think. And we coordinated, you know, basically he said, okay, you call the trauma bay resident, give report, tell the nurse to wheel her. I'm going to call CT and clear the scanners and then I'll call CT surgery. So basically, if the provider hadn't been in triage, if I hadn't been there or if someone hadn't been there, I would like to think someone else would have picked this up too. But if that patient hadn't been seen in triage, they would have waited for hours in the ED, and they likely would have died in the waiting room because there was nothing objective that was able to give the nurses enough of a red flag, right? Like her EKG was fine. Her blood pressure was high, but she was a reproductive age female. Usually chest pain doesn't mean something serious in them. She was overweight. There's a little bit of like weight stigma that can go on. A lot of weight stigma goes on. So, you know, she was perceived as kind of like a whiny, reproductive age, overweight woman, which those people are treated differently than others, especially like older adults, right? We kind of assume that uh, chest pain can only be something bad in, in an older adult. Long story short, we were able to get her to the CT scanner within minutes. Um, she did, in fact, have uh, an aortic dissection that had dissected all the way down to her iliac artery, thus explaining the reason why she lost the sensation in her leg in the ambulance. But that type of thing, that level of assessment is really a provider level of assessment. That's not really something that we expect of triage nurses. That's not something that would necessarily raise a red flag for anyone else, or that question may not have been asked because... That wasn't in the triage note from from the nurse who triaged at EMS. It was in my focused questioning that I was able to elicit that, which then went down a whole different path of, of information. So, so long story short, this can be a really valuable and important place to work in the ED and triage, especially if you if there's a busy department that um, tends to have a full 
waiting room. It's it's an important way to not only get the process started, but to add an additional layer of triage. The other area, low acuity or fast track, is really more of like an urgent care type of environment. You're going to see more patients. Most of them will be discharged. Things like musculoskeletal injuries, back pain, lacerations, that type of thing usually comes to the fast track area. And there usually is a designated area for fast track so that those low acuity complaints aren't clogging up the waiting room. So so a lot of times those lower acuity complaints will get pulled back to the fast track area in an, in an effort to decompress the entire um, department. And then the main ED nurse practitioners can often work in the main ED depending on the location and the state, of course. Usually it will be in closer collaboration with a physician. And this is where kind of the the main complaints go. You know, anything, if you're familiar with the acuity scale, it goes from one to five, one being most acute, five being the least acute. Typically, anything that's a three or higher will go to the main ED. So that's things like abdominal pain and like chest pain, shortness of breath or level twos, that type of thing. So, and depending on the setup of the department, you may or may not be required to involve a physician in the care of the patient. So I've worked in a place that had a restriction by acuity, meaning that anything that was a one, two, or three required physician involvement, whereas a four or five could be seen and discharged by the nurse practitioner without involvement of the of the physician. And then other places I've worked that only required involvement of the physician for patients who are being admitted to the hospital. So it, it really depends place to place, but that seems to be the most common uh, based on what I've heard from others is uh, the nurse practitioner can see and discharge patients independently, but anything either above a certain acuity level or requiring admission then requires physician cosign. So essentially you would present as if you were working in clinical, you would you know present the patient to the physician and, and say, you know, this is what I think is going on. This is what I want to do. This patient requires admission, et cetera. Okay. So I want to shift into the typical day in the ED because I think it's important to kind of see how it all flows together. So typically you'll come on to your shift and and depending on how the shifts are laid out, whether the staffing is staggered versus shifts all changing at the same time, you might take sign out from the previous shift. So if you have shifts that change, meaning like there's a group that works seven to seven and another group that works seven to seven, then you'll likely all take sign out from the group that's leaving. I find it works best when there's overlap so that when the new provider comes on, the old provider has time to wrap up their patients and there's no transfer of of care. But that really just depends on how the shifts are staffed in your department, which is often going to be different than the nursing staffing, by the way. So ideally, you won't start with any patients. Depending on how many patients are waiting to be seen on the board, uh, which is uh, on the computer, board, you know, they might be red. Uh, You might pick up one or two patients at a time by assigning yourself on the computer. That's typically how it works as opposed to it being in an assigned section. Usually for nurses, nurses cover, you know, rooms one, two, three, and four. Uh, But for providers, you cover a broader area and tend to pick up patients based on um, who is waiting to be seen. And depending on your department, or you personally, you can either do this by acuity, meaning you're going to pick up the more urgent complaints first, or by wait time. You can see how long people have been waiting. And that's really kind of dependent on the department flow and the chief complaints to determine who you're going to pick up first. 
So you're going to pick up a patient. You'll go into the room, introduce yourself, of course, take the history from the patient, a focused history, do the physical exam. And based on the history and exam, you're going to order diagnostic tests and medications if appropriate. And that can take anywhere from five to 10 minutes, depending on how much history is is needed to be gathered. And after you order the tests and kind of get their workup started, then ideally you'll come back to your computer and you'll write the start of your note. And then you'll go see another patient and do the same thing and repeat. And you might repeat this process to three patients at a time. So like you might pick up two patients and go see them and then come back and, and type in your orders and notes, or you might do one at a time. But the thing that you're doing one at a time is going to see them doing the exam, ordering the tests, meds, and writing your note. Uh, but it takes some time to get those results back for those orders. So in that meantime, you're not sitting around waiting for the results to come back on that one patient. You're going to see another one. Okay. So at some point, maybe after seeing three new patients, just as an example, you will check on the chart from the first patient, maybe the first patient or two, and see if any results have come back from what you've ordered. And they may have, they may have not, depends on how quickly your department gets their orders fulfilled. When you have all your test results back, you're going to you know, cross-check those against the presentation of the patient. You're going to reevaluate your patient after the interventions that you may have ordered. Uh, and then based on those results, they may need more interventions. They may need more tests or they may need more medications. It really depends on their complaint and, and the diagnostic workup. But at that point that you get that first round of test results and evaluate their response to whatever you've done for them, then you're going to start thinking about what the patient's disposition is, meaning whether they will ultimately be discharged or admitted. Those are the two dispositions. I guess the third one is if they are deceased, but the two main um, ones are discharge or admitted. Depending on which path they go down, you will either need to start to facilitate their discharge plan, which would include ordering meds, doing the patient education about their condition, and giving them their follow-up and their return instructions, or call for their admission. So if you've determined that a patient needs admission, once you have gotten to that point where they are ready to be admitted because you've made a diagnosis or you've had some treatment failure or they need observation, whatever that is, once you kind of have your results, then you're going to call the admitting provider, which is usually a hospitalist or sometimes a specialist, depending on whether it's you know a cardiology problem or surgical issue. Uh, and you're going to give the report and the recommendation. So you're kind of going to give a modified SBAR, essentially. Uh, and you're going to wait for them to accept the patient. And at that point, you transfer the care from the emergency provider to the hospital admission provider. And all of this takes a lot of time. <laughs> um, so I'm explaining it kind of in a simplified way. Uh, and the challenge is that you will be juggling multiple timelines for multiple patients. Okay, so so this is very different from the outpatient world where you will see and complete a patient encounter before moving on to the next one. You might, you know, juggle things here and there. But for the most part, you know, you're seeing a patient, you're completing, you might leave the note to be finished, but you're completing the actual encounter before going on to the next patient. But in the emergency department, you might be 
waiting to get an important consult call back. Um, you know, you may have paged someone and in the meantime, you're going to see a new patient to start their workup. Or you might have an intervention to perform, like you might have to go do sutures or splint a fracture or go do a pelvic exam. So you're really juggling all these timelines and there'll come a point where you can't take on any more patients until you've dispositioned uh, one or more of your existing patients. So that kind of comfort level is going to be different for everyone, but it really depends on kind of your brain capacity to task switch through these multiple timelines. And when working up these complaints, I'll say that it's important to maintain a rule out mentality and method of charting. An important lesson I learned early on is that reasonable people tend to self-triage. And what does that mean? That means that most people are able to go to the appropriate location based on their level of concern when they present for care. So in general, the provider should assume that abdominal pain seen in the emergency department is of higher concern than abdominal pain seen in the family practitioner's office. Okay, so this isn't a rule, but this is what it means to self-triage. If I am a reasonable person with a physical ailment or complaint that came on acutely that I think is really troubling, I am going to self-triage myself and determine whether, you know, my symptoms are of the concern that need an emergency department visit or a family practice visit. That's not to say that everybody knows their body that well, but it's important to make this assumption and to give everyone that credit of being able to self-triage so that you don't ever miss a life-threatening diagnosis. Because the emergency department is really the only place that is doing that quick workup to see and rule out acute life-threatening diagnoses. Okay, so This isn't a rule of thumb, of course, but it is important to keep that in mind that we as the emergency department are really the only appropriate place to rule out those most serious or acutely life-threatening situations. So that's all I have for you. I, I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has given some insight into this environment, into working in the emergency department to help you figure out, is this something that would be a good fit for you or something that you want to explore a little bit more? And yeah, I think it's a unique, it's a unique place, but the people, the providers who thrive in the ED uh, really do, really do thrive there. And since it can be harder to get kind of that concrete in-person experience of whether it's a good fit for you, hopefully this episode has given you a little bit of that. And maybe the next step would be to try to shadow somebody. Maybe you know a nurse practitioner who works in the ED. If you're still in school, maybe you can try to get a clinical rotation there, even if it's just a couple of days, because I think that being in the environment will really help you figure out whether it feels like a good fit for you. So let me know if you liked this type of episode. I know it's a little bit different than what we've done in the past, but I did want to give you kind of a deeper dive into a particular nurse practitioner specialty. Uh, And if you really enjoyed it, then, you know, certainly I can bring on some guests to give a little bit more of a clinical deep dive of different environments. So the best way to do that would be to screenshot this episode and 
tag me on Instagram at the resume RX, or even better, wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, maybe you could tap in to the review section. Uh, leave a review. Hopefully it's five stars. I hope that I've earned that from you. Uh, but in your review, I want to know if this episode was helpful for you and what else you would like to hear about. Okay, so until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you and I will catch you again soon. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.